Hey, before we get started, here's a quick word from my friends at Girl Tales. Once upon a time, a knight in shining armor slew a dragon while a princess was locked in a tower. Wait. Cool story, bro, but let us take it from here. Girl Tales is a kids' podcast of feminist stories for a new generation. Girls go on adventures, take risks, and become their own heroes. We've got new stories every Monday. Find Girl Tales wherever you get your podcasts and join the fairy tale revolution today. Okay, let's rock. Yes, hello, my name is Mick Sullivan, and welcome to The Past and the Curious. This is the first of a series that we are calling The Underwear Chronicles. There are 14 chapters that I wrote for a book, and the book is not going to get published, so I'm giving them to you, one month at a time, one chapter at a time. So in between regular episodes of The Past and the Curious, you're going to get one of these. So that's why we're kind of at the halfway point. Now, these are going to be a little different because there's only one story. It was written for a certain format in a book, so it's a little bit longer than our normal stories, but you're just going to get one. And then in a couple weeks, I'll be back with a normal type of episode. And I do want to point out that a few of the stories that will come later are stories that I have featured in a different format in the past in the curious. So there will be some, it's not, they're not the exact same thing. I actually rewrote them and added a lot more and kind of changed the perspective of a few of them. So um, just be on the lookout for that and I'll give you a heads up. But this episode starts with some animals. It introduces you to the Montgolfier brothers and then introduces you to the men of the hour, John Jeffries, an American, and Jean-Pierre Blanchard, a Frenchman, a pilot, an aeronaut, who has made a bit appearance on The Past and the Curious because we did an episode that featured his wife, Sophie Blanchard. Now, when we brought John into her story, we didn't tell you anything about how he couldn't get along very well with others, and we also didn't tell you about how his underwear made a very embarrassing flight to France. So let's go ahead and do that now, shall we? <laughs> A duck, a sheep, a rooster, riding in a hot air balloon. Now it sounds like the setup for a joke, but there's no real punchline, unless you count the underwear that shows up later in the story. This air zoo really happened. In 1783, floating farm animals to the clouds was how the Montgolfier brothers convinced the king that their new invention was safe. King Louis was worried to risk human life in the new hot air balloon, so he asked for some test flights. The animals. And no animals were harmed in the making of this story, so Louis gave his blessing. As a result, France would lead Europe and most of the world in flight for decades. Truthfully, it's a wonder that the floating flock wasn't hurt. The Montgolfier brothers' balloon wasn't something that we'd exactly call safe by the standards of today. It was essentially made of wallpaper, which is a bad pairing for the open flame required to lift the hot air balloon. One errant ember could have turned the beautiful balloon to a flaming fireball. Unfazed by the possibility of pyrotechnical problems, the brothers themselves replaced the animals in the basket. It's a wonder that they lived long lives without ever hitting the ground. Someone who would eventually hit the ground was another Frenchman named Jean-Pierre Blanchard. 
Before Blanchard came crashing down to Earth, he was testing the limits of flight in a unique balloon of his own. While the Montgolfier brothers were flying their hot air balloon, Blanchard chose a newly discovered gas, hydrogen. Hydrogen is the lightest element on the periodic table, which makes it lighter than air. He realized that if the gas were captured in a sack, like say, a giant balloon, then it would float. Tie a basket to the bottom, hop in, and before you can say dirigible, you're on your way to the clouds. One note, before it was commonly known as hydrogen, it was called inflammable air. And contrary to your instincts, inflammable means the same thing as flammable. This means bad news for flames. Just ask the captain of the Hindenburg blimp centuries later. Jean-Pierre Blanchard didn't use any flames though. He actually had a crazier idea. Once he got his big balloon off the ground, he thought he would be able to glide through the air like a boat on a lake. On this hunch, he made a hand crank propeller and big silk air paddles, kind of like wings on sticks. The course of human development has taught us one thing. Some ideas are good and some ideas are bad. Those air paddles were not very good ideas, but anything is worth a shot. On the bright side, his balloon sure did float. It floated so well that a man named John Jeffries became a financier. Being an aeronautic pioneer costs a lot of money. There were costs of creation and the upkeep on a balloon, buying hydrogen, traveling to launch sites, and more. Jeffries was excited and interested by the possibilities of flight, so he helped Blanchard pay for all of his expenses. But like the basket hanging from the bottom of Blanchard's big balloon, there were strings attached. Jeffries was an American doctor who remained loyal to the King of England during the American Revolution. The revolting Americans didn't take too kindly to loyalists at the time, so Jeffries left for Europe, and he carried a curious passion for understanding how weather worked, and he saw the big balloon as a useful tool in that pursuit. As he figured it, his money should earn him a seat on the balloon with Jean-Pierre. And it wasn't just any seat that he wanted. Jean-Pierre was planning to make history by crossing the English Channel, and John wanted to be along for that ride. If successful, the flight would be the very first overseas international balloon crossing. So surely, Jeffries envisioned being memorialized in history books for the groundbreaking feat. And in a way, he was right. But he'd probably be embarrassed to know how his underwear wound up being such a big part of the story. Jean-Pierre Blanchard begrudgingly agreed. They'd fly from England to France over the body of salty water that separates the two countries. If unsuccessful, they'd wind up with wet undies, best case, or as fish food, which would be the worst case. The distance between Dover, England and Calais, France is only about 20 miles. But it was still a stupidly dangerous thing to attempt. They probably imagined sore arms from a whole lot of paddling with Pierre's funny air paddles, but truthfully, those wouldn't help at all. The men would find themselves at the mercy of the wind. This meant that it would take hours to travel. They'd have to be very careful about what they brought with them because the balloon could only carry so much weight. If the balloon started to sink somewhere over the countryside, no biggie. 
but a sinking balloon over the English Channel was another matter entirely. Now, if we could go back in time and check Jean-Pierre's report card from school, it might say something like, Jean-Pierre is very smart and gifted in engineering, but he does not play well with others. At first, he agreed to let Jeffries join the flight, probably just to shut him up. In reality, he had no intention of sharing a single ounce of the foreign flight fame and glory. The finicky Frenchman tried nearly every dirty trick he could think of to keep John Jeffries sulking on the ground and not by his side in the basket. At the launch site in Dover, the overly dramatic Jean-Pierre ran screaming to his room. Something about never learning how to share. Like a nice, mature adult, he locked himself in and refused to come out. His hope was that John would give up and just go home. The exiled American wasn't going to give up easily, though, and Blanchard lost that battle of wills. Soon the men found themselves together in the basket of the balloon. As they stood inside, surrounded by cargo and tools, the balloon struggled to barely raise from the earth. The hydrogen-filled sack above their heads was no match for the full basket at their feet. This was not a good sign for the crossing of the English Channel, and it put them at high risk of becoming fish food. The overweight basket came as a surprise for John. He had double-checked all of the calculations, and it should have lifted. But there was no denying it. The basket was too heavy. At least that's the way the conniving Jean-Pierre wanted it to seem. He put on an Oscar-winning performance, dripping with vain sorrow and fake remorse. He informed John that as much as he hated it, it would appear that the balloon could only carry one man. And since he was the only actual balloon pilot, and since it was such a dangerous endeavor, well, perhaps it would be best if John just let him go ahead on his own. At this point, the thought of the frustratingly sneaky Jean-Pierre going down in the ocean alone probably brought John a bit of joy. On the other hand, if the sneaky pilot did make it, he would go down in history alone. Considering the stunts that he had pulled so far, especially that tantrum he threw to scare John off, this weight problem still seemed suspicious. John Jeffrey's sharp eye caught a glimpse of something curious. An unfamiliar leather belt peeked out of the break in Jean-Pierre's jacket, and John demanded to know what was under his clothes. Little did he know that he would get more than an eyeful of that soon enough. But at this demand, Jean-Pierre stammered and protested, but knew it was no use. He pulled back his jacket to show a fanny pack full of lead. This was the real reason the balloon was not lifting off. The aeronaut was persistent, if nothing else. There was nothing else Blanchard could do, and now he knew he'd have to share the basket. The two men put their disagreements behind and joined their fates, finally setting sail in the skies. In the balloon basket with the men was a bag full of letters being sent to France. The ineffective silk air paddles, biscuits, brandy, and a whole lot of scientific equipment. Expecting to make history and wanting to look good doing it, the two men were dressed in some of their finest clothes. As they left the cliffs of Dover below and behind, everything seemed to be going well enough. The balloon lifted like a big purple sun in the gray sky, and the idea of becoming fish food 
was the farthest thing from either man's mind. But things quickly changed. Somewhere out there over the waves of the channel, before the coast of France had come into sight, both men agreed that they were slowly getting closer to the water below. And that was the wrong direction to be going in. The descent was not dramatic at first, so there was no real need to panic. Obviously, they had brought a lot with them, and if they needed to lighten the weight in the basket, there were certainly a few things that they could toss over. It would be a relatively short journey, and they could certainly live without the brandy and the bread. If tossed overboard, perhaps those few pounds would get the balloon moving back upward. So the goods splashed into the ocean, and the men waited to see if it would do the trick. It did not do the trick. A tiny twinge of panic, like a single bubble in a glass of soda, raced up their bodies. They looked over to see the salty water a little bit closer than it had been before. And without hesitation, the silken air paddles and propeller were also tossed into the froth. When the pair peered over the side again, the water was even closer still. Several more bubbles of panic raced up their bodies. The telescope, the compass, the assortment of scientific tools, which were expensive, but they wouldn't have been of any use to a scientist who was sleeping in Davy Jones' locker. So, with a nervous gulp and a Hail Mary prayer, they too were tossed out of the basket. Those valuable instruments sank to the bottom of the English Channel, and the balloon sank closer still to the water. After tossing the bag of mail, there was nothing left to throw out. Meanwhile, the bottom of the balloon's basket was dangerously close to being swallowed by the sea. Those fizzy bubbles of panic in their bodies were now overflowing like a bottle of soda hurled across the room. There was nothing left in the basket besides the men. Unwilling to give in to a watery fate, they still grasped for a solution. Weight was the problem, and they figured there was still a little bit more weight to get rid of. Pee. Whatever they carried in their bladders from breakfast came whizzing out to the ocean below as they peed over the edge of the basket. They hoped that this would be the last few ounces it took to save them. You should know by now that it was not, because we haven't even gotten to the underwear part yet. Now, with literally nothing left, no pee, no telescopes, no bread, no packages, the men gulped one last gulp, felt the mist of the now frightfully close water, and they took off their clothes. Fancy shoes, velvet jackets, linen shirts, and expensive trousers joined all of the other jettisoned items in the ocean. The men and their underwear were all that remained. It's hard to imagine more humbling circumstances, but despite their conflicts up to this point, at least they were together. The only thing worse might have been facing the embarrassing emergency alone. And then, like a gift from the heavens, satisfied with all of the offerings and sacrifices tossed into the sea, a merciful breeze began to blow. Now, filled with the first glimmer of hope that they had since the ordeal began, the wind lifted the balloon steadily above the threatening waves, and before long, they could see the coastline of France. Relief washed over them, just as the ocean had almost done. Of course, this meant they'd be flying into France with nothing but their underwear, which they did 
They landed safe and sound, with their underwear and a healthy dose of embarrassment. Beat the alternative, though. The men would live to fly again. Jean-Pierre made a career out of ballooning, at least until he had a heart attack mid-air in 1809. After that, his wife Sophie took over the family job of aeronaut. And of course, you can hear more about her in episode 53 of The Past and the Curious. Thank you very much. Yes, I told you it was going to be a shorter episode. That's the way that these underwear episodes are going to go. There's not going to be quiz time and there's not going to be you have 30 seconds. Um, I'm probably going to save all the Patreons as well. So if you've got a Patreon shout out or a song like Xavier, um, just stay tuned. That'll be coming soon. Now, as for there's one other detail about Jean-Pierre Blanchard uh, and this journey that I think is really funny. Um, They were actually carrying with them a piece of mail that was bound for Benjamin Franklin because um, Benjamin Franklin's son was in London or was in England and he had sent a letter because Franklin was in Paris. And so they, they were supposed to carry this letter along with that bag of mail to Benjamin Franklin. And um, I don't think they threw it over. I think one of the guys wound up sticking it in his underwear. I think John Jeffries stuck it in his underwear. Gross, right? So that at least Benjamin Franklin's mail got there. So people have actually said that that was the very first piece of airmail in in history because it was delivered by a balloon. Um, and it was delivered to Benjamin Franklin by a man in his underwear. I think that's pretty great, right? So I hope you enjoyed. We have plenty more where that came from. I'm, I've got some really fun ones. I really like the one I did about Marie Antoinette. So stay tuned for that. Um, yeah, I, I think you're going to enjoy it. So thanks for listening. My name is Mick Sullivan. This has been The Past and The Curious. And we will have a regular episode coming up in about two weeks. Have a great one until then. Tell people to listen. Oh, and I also have a funny video that I'm going to put on YouTube and on my website. So um, if you haven't seen it yet, go check it out.